Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on Skype, July 25th, 2020. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby model railroading. It's a Saturday morning show, but it's a Saturday morning show, hopefully with a bit of a twist, because I've invited on Gordy Robinson. He's yet to call in, which just gives me plenty more time to catch up with Martin Coombs. Martin, I've been seeing various photos through the week through Facebook. Folks in the UK seem to be moving out of their kind of frost lockdown positions and coming out into the light. Has anything changed for you appreciably as the lockdown has changed? We're slightly freer uh, to move around. Uh, there's sort of pub openings, uh, controlled pub openings uh, have been taking place. They're looking to start sort of gymnasiums. Uh, the hairdressers have been open for a few weeks now, so they've had a, an influx of people. Uh, and there's various other service industries are starting to open their doors again. Uh, some pubs have opened their doors initially and then had to shut them again very quickly afterwards uh, because they had reports of one of the attendees has tested positive. Uh, so they had to con. What happens here is if you go into a pub, you have to leave your contact details. And the same if you're in a party of people in a restaurant, one of you must leave your details. Uh, should, so should anything be found to have happened on that particular day or evening that you attended and someone else was affected, they can get in contact with you to advise you that that was the case. So there's been a few of those. On a personal note, no, it's uh, been out, been a little bit of shopping. Most of it, of the shopping side, has been uh, ordered online and a click and collect. So it's very very simple and straightforward but as a, a group we haven't met we've only met on zoom uh, although i've been to ken's a few times to do the the skips the skip emptying and and stuff like that but uh the, the only development is with our club and the village hall has been uh I, I we've said before that our clubhouse is on the same grounds as the village hall and uh they have elected to open up or, or let us open up again now Interesting. and said and said uh, uh it will be they're giving us a date of the 10th of august mm. uh, that we can start reconvening but obviously in a controlled way yes uh but in the meantime in lockdown there's been the clubhouse manager and one other has been in the clubhouse on their own and had permission from the village hall committee mm. uh, that they could be on site because they've been in and uh done some alterations and things that need to be doing they've, they've installed hand sanitizers they've upgraded all the washing facilities they've changed some doors they've uh, finally got rid of all the old uh tungsten lighting and, and completely lit everything with led wow well gosh which which is nothing to do with COVID. That element, I understand, but, it, but look, yeah, upkeep, upkeep, wonderful. Yeah, it, it was a thing, you know, the old halogens and and and. Uh, but we did uh, the main club uh, used to be lit by fluorescent tubes, and we replaced them with those two foot square LED light panels, and that made a massive difference to the lighting and the club. It, it was it's very good. So that's really now taken out through the for the whole club. But what it means is what we. We meet as a club on a number of days. And mm. The main, the main big meet is on the Friday evening, where you can get twenty, twenty-five, thirty people. Well, that can't happen at the moment. They've, yes. they've set a maximum of six. Is there outdoor and, seating or anything around the clubhouse? I mean, would it be possible for you know stragglers to social distance? Can they bring folding chairs? Perhaps. I mean, I know. Well, yeah, I mean, UK I mean, weather we is not always necessarily in favour of that kind of stuff. But what, no. what kind of measures are you taking? 
it, it's, I mean, it is weather dependent. We, I mean, we've got a big car park out the front, the tarmac car park, so they could sit out there. But the problem is they've removed uh, all the soft padded chairs and stuff like that. There's only hard vinyl ones. And they've re- removed all, all the chairs barring six so that you know, more people can't come in and sit down. But what, what has happened is the village hall had offered us for free at the moment is on a Friday evening, we have use of the hall, which oh, means wonderful. we've got a big, big space Gosh. that we can lay out tables and chairs. We've got use of the very big kitchen facility there. Mm. So uh, we could group 20 people in the village hall quite comfortably, all social distancing. Uh, but that also the proviso is should the members want to. Uh, there's there's a lot of members who still uh, and and some of my group and myself included and not keen to go back at this yes, moment in time. Yes. Uh, so you know we as a group are sort of really it's going to be next year before we're going to go back. But we will arrange to have certain visits out of normal club nights and days hmm. to maybe collect a baseball or something like Absolutely. that and bring it home and work on it home for argument's sake ken has two of the new double o layout baseboards at home yes because it it's uh, on those two baseboards is a section of uh, builder's yard that he's volunteered to build hmm. so it's much easier for him to have the boards at home and work on at home uh, and i've been making the station building a footbridge which i spoke about on previous shows and uh, yes. once i finished that I will arrange to go in and get the baseball that it fits on and bring that home, and then I can do all the fitting at home. And How stuff. big is that as a structure? Because I've I've stood on said you know one to one scale uh, version of it, but how big is it as a structure? Uh, let's have a look. If you just bear with me, Tom. <laughs> it's on the shelf above me. Not a problem. A not a problem. Right, uh, the step units. I get a ruler. <laughs> Precision. Right. Precision is yes. what we want. Yeah, <laughs> so, so, so there's no mucking around here, Tom. Very good. So the, the length of the step unit, uh, there's two of them, one mm-hmm. on each platform. So, it's 240 mil long. Okay. And it's 45 millimeters wide mm-hmm. and a maximum height of 125 mil. Interesting. And there's two of those. Yep. Certainly. Now, you remember the big overbridge yep. that you went on? Certainly. That, that's the biggest part of the structure. Right. And that is what, uh, three, let's have a look at that, three, so 550 mil wide. Yep. Uh, with a depth of 80 mil mm-hmm. and a height of 45 mil. Wow. Okay. So, so that is it, definitely the biggest part without question. Yeah. And, and that I've, uh, I've already rough cut a laser mock-up mm-hmm. uh, of that to prove the concept. Uh, and all I've got to do is actually now do the finalised drawings for it mm-hmm. uh, in Illustrator, and then I'll, I'll bung that on the laser to cut. But I've, I've sort of cheated a bit because it's it's a still uh, riveted construction. Certainly. Most part of the overbridge element. And there's rivets, uh, riveted panels. So rather than replicate the rivets, I've sort of cheated a bit, and I've lasered small holes. Of course. Uh, so effectively, which will just... Uh, a panel paint will nestle in those holes and, and give the effect of rivets. Because it's only a four mil scale, so it's difficult to see them anyway. Uh, but at least I can do them very accurately with a laser uh, and stuff like that. So I'm just working out, it's going to be a, a, a structure within a structure. And so I'm working out ways of how I can trap the glazing mm. uh, and form a sub ball. I was toying with modeling the inside because mm. you could peer from oh, yes. and then I, uh, But then I thought, oh, I don't know. I've got better things to do. 
<laughs> put a lot of work into that that someone may never ever see. <laughs> well, the illumination inside would be quite interesting. I mean, I think there's a lot of possibilities there, but you're right. It's already quite a quite a mammoth structure, and uh, it sounds like you're doing it justice. Fascinating. Yeah, hopefully it's it's been a it's been a nice project. Uh, I say, I mean, the, the laser's been a godsend uh, mm, for yes. and all that. Uh, and I must admit, I was, yeah, it, it's a uh, it's a sort of double whammy, really, just enjoying pushing the laser and seeing what I can get out of it, <laughs> and, and, uh, and and in fact, enjoying the accuracy because having built Certainly. stuff in the past where you've hand cut stuff, yeah. it's, it's just so nice to draw it on the computer, yes. spot on and cut it out and it just lines up which is nice yeah. so uh i'm pleased with that so i mean the step units that you've probably seen in facebook posts have already been painted so Certainly. it is only the cross piece that do and it's just a case of uh getting myself into gear and doing it which always every time i go near the laser my wife says oh you're going to be cutting anything and then uh <laughs> the wood I, smell is she is she a fan of the wood smell is that the no I, it's uh it's the mere fact i'm cutting stuff out because I, I cut a lot of card stuff out for her mm-hmm. oh, okay, interesting. A, a lot of card crafting stuff Wonderful. and uh I thought I was going to be doing some testing on Perspex today, but I've uh-huh. ended up cutting out about 200 butterflies at the moment <laughs> out of card. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, a, this is fascinating because I think we've historically talked about how these things are going to be used by other modelers. Like if, if one person in your group gets a laser cutter, then, but yeah, to, to make it a family useful tool, something that the whole family can enjoy is a really smart move there, Martin. <laughs> yeah, we yeah we we have a, a number of sort of because of her card making and crafting hobby, we have a, a number of crossover tools and techniques Wonderful. and glues uh, and things, which is has been quite handy really. Mm. Uh, she's interested because because I've only got a diode laser, five five watt one. It's <laughs> not fast because of the very nature of the beast, but. She's tempted. She's already sort of sounded out, well, can't we get a CO2 laser? At least it can do other stuff quicker. <laughs> uh, which, it, yeah, it's sort of tempting, but, you know, it just depends uh, how much we, we want to cut. And, and yes. the problem with the CO2 laser, it's the specific sighting of it and the coolers. and Of course, and yeah, it's a much different beast. Yeah, it's a much different yeah. beast than, yeah. Whereas my diode lasers, you know, there's no different to an a3 size uh was well, a bit bigger than an a3 sure. uh, laser printer very light yes uh, and, and literally i can pick it up and just shove it in the cupboard which is really Wonderful. nice Wonderful. and i don't need any cooler or anything like that i just plug the mac into it yep uh, and i've made a uh, an adapter for our one of our windows in our conservatory when you open it it pops in a panel Wonderful. and i could put the flexible hose to it so it vents to the outside Wonderful. Uh, so, you know, you can use it all day and then you can put it away and no, no, no one's none the wiser. Yes. Well, uh, b- before we get to Gordy, um, yeah. anything else that you want to update? I do have one thing for you once, once we have a chance, but do you okay. have anything else to update? Yeah, I just, uh, quickly, did I, did I speak about the garden turntable last time, Tom? Uh, uh, yeah, you've touched on it briefly, but if you've got more updates, please give them. Well, basically, it's all installed now. Wonderful. It, it's all installed, and all the track work is down for the, the uh, engine shed and the support coal road. Uh, that's that's all done. And uh, it's. I think I put some pictures up on Facebook at some point. Uh, so the, the next bit of that is to start building the engine shed. So I'll, uh, once I've done something on that, I'll, I'll post bits up. Uh, the coaches, the 16mm five-coach set, uh, that I've been doing. I've now cut out all the windows, mm. uh, and there were seventy of those. And it's you need to get them accurate, and it's out of one millimeter perspex. Yes. So uh, what I did, I measured very carefully all the window apertures because I found on the resident coaches, although there's two window apertures that look pretty much the same, I found out they weren't. So uh, I 
drew, I measured them very carefully. I drew them up uh, on the computer, printed them out, and color coded them and labeled them for each coach. And then I was able, because I've only got certain sizes of perspex that came with the kit. Certainly. There is no, there's no margin for error, should yes, we say. Yes. So I was able to lay them all out on the computer first. And then I just double sided taped them to the seat, the covering uh, sheet that's on the perspex and just used the bandsaw to cut them out. Oh, and then it, it and because they're all rounded corners, it's just yes. a very a few little strokes of a small file uh, and the test fit. So they've all been cut out wow. and uh, they won't be fitted yet because I've just been drawing up some transfers uh, for the coaches. So I'm going to get them custom made. And once they're fitted, then I can varnish the coaches. Gosh. Then I can put the windows in. Yes. Uh, so that's in fact, that's it really. So, oh, and, and I've dug. Uh, I've dug the whole, the trench, the lug blast all the way to the workshops Pretty for the new good. power cables. Very good. So that's done. And I've covered that in, which means the next stage of the garden rail is a lot nearer to being able to progress because that mm. was, <laughs> that was holding it up. But, uh, no, that's it. It's been, uh, it's, uh, I've been mainly busy with work, to be honest. Believe so me. The garden <laughs> rail is tough. <laughs> yeah. Is, uh, I mean, it's, it, it, don't get me wrong. It's pleasure. It's a godsend to have all the work. It, it is a luxury without question. But I'm exactly yeah. where you are as well. Speaking yeah. of which, speaking of which, mm-hmm. I've spent a bit of quality time, thanks in part to Facebook. I don't know how Garden Railways knows that. I, I guess I know all of you. I don't know if I've ever posted about Kent Garden Railways on Facebook, but they seem to know that I know Kent Garden Railways. And I've been all looking right. at their site, in particular, some of their live steam offerings that are mm-hmm. going to be issued within the next six months. There's some really charming little locomotives that they've got coming up and very reasonably priced as well. So yes. I've been looking at them. Uh, COVID seems to me, I've been on lockdown since mid-March, maybe a little earlier. And right. it seems to be a kind of period of saving, surviving, but also curious window shopping, let's just say. Um, yes. And if you can keep <laughs> the purchases with a certain degree of distance from one another... Um, a little steam locomotive from Kent Gun Railways could actually fit into the picture. So I have been looking at it quite, uh, quite in with, and I think what's fascinating is that they're moving, they're moving in a couple of different directions, which are not historically what live steam has been. So uh-huh. hats off to, uh, hats off to the owner. Um, and obviously I think they're working with, uh, I've got to always get the name right. Maybe AccuCraft uh, locally. Uh, AccuCraft, yeah. He's, yeah. he's commissioned uh, with them these, I think it's two or three models he's commissioned. Yeah, certainly. It's, yeah. A while, it's a while since I've spoken. And I believe they're the, they're the smaller prototypes, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah, no, that's, that, yeah. they're perfectly, I mean, really, they've done their homework associated with what kind of offerings they should make. And I was really impressed with the level of detail as well. I think they, for the price point and the level of detail, it really is astonishing what they're, uh, Offering coming up, so I, I I don't know whether it'll be a guilty purchase for the next couple of months, but certainly I was looking quite fondly at them over the week and just thinking of, uh, you know, I, I'd love them to do a bread car like mine. I think that would be a, <laughs> an immediate <laughs> well, sale from my perspective. But yeah, the stuff that they're offering yeah. and the ability actually, uh, they have one very minimalist, you know, boiler, little standing, but no no shrouds, nothing um, to to make it, um, you know, more. I don't know, more fully completed and the ability to add, you know, additional elements to these relatively basic locomotives, I think is a really fascinating option. Obviously you've got solid mechs from, uh, AccuCraft, but the ability to, to personalize these things, I think is really fascinating. So hats yeah. off to, uh, hats off to Kent Garden Railways. 
it, it, it's a lot of stuff that people like to do. There's, there's a, quite a trend over here now for people just to add those little bits of details, be that lamp brackets, lamps, Certainly, buckets, yeah. bits of chain tools. And, and the beauty of the 3D printed uh, figures we can now oh, yeah. get in 16 mil, especially if you get people like Model U who, who do these phenomenally detailed ones. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it, it's nice. And, and, a, and a small degree of weathering as well. Definitely. Always helps tones them down. So uh, yeah, they're, they're I mean they're, they're good little projects in themselves, and and because they're a small locomotive, you don't need huge amounts of stock behind them Certainly. to to make it look sensible. So it's uh, yeah, there's there's quite an upswell with it, and and also it's sort of the the, the cheaper uh, kit and electric powered three D printed uh, models as well. There's there's quite a it's quite a run. I mean, there's a, there's a guy producing the the Bagley diesel, which is the the green diesel at of course, uh, yeah, at, at, at uh, Redcar, it complete with motor wheels, three D printed, and it's also laser cut perspex. Eighty five quid. Unbelievable. You know that. Unbelievable. It's, it's astonishing. All right, you just get, you add batteries and radio control if you want, but you don't even need radio control. You have just an on off switch if you yes. wanted. You know, there's there's both ends of the market catered for. Yes, uh, which is nice, and and with the electric stuff, you can be up and running. I mean, I've got some electric diesels, which are great because sometimes you think, oh, I just want to have a quick go out there and, and shunt some wagons. Yep. you know, you can do it instantly, turn it off, put it away. But if you're going to do it with a steam engine, you've of got course. to just think yes. it through a little bit and prepare yourself. <laughs> it's, the, it's just like a real thing, really. Uh, you've got more time, but uh, I'll be interested to see what you go for in the end, Tom. That's, I would uh, too. I'm not, it's, a, it's a future project, but certainly I uh, put a little. Pin in the, because I think, you know, I think live steam is a perennial thing and it's, to use a cliche, it's something that the hobby can weather for, you know, shows and getting people out and this kind of stuff. I mean, I think it's a, you know, it makes all the, ticks all the right boxes with regards to the current circumstances. So, yeah. yeah. Looking at his site now, he's got the 7 8 scale Bagnall. Yep. Uh, which is nice, but he's, <laughs> he's, he's not quite a bit of money off that. Yeah, no, I, that's what I think. I think the price, I mean, yeah. maybe, Maybe he's saving money now. He doesn't have a, a traditional storefront. Yeah, but yeah, yeah no. Not... Anyway, I've, I've sent you yeah. in the wrong direction. Clearly, <laughs> please, yeah. please stay on the line. You know what to do. But uh, in fact, we've got yeah. on Gordy Robertson, and I think y- you two are, um, you know, in, in many ways cut from the same cloth. So I'll have a chat with Gordy. If anything comes up, please do jump in. You know what to do. Um, and please yep. pass on my regards to your entire crew. My thoughts are certainly oh. with my friends in the UK at these times. So. Lovely. Yeah. I, I will. I will do, Tom. I, it might, I may end up shooting off because we've got a takeaway ordered. So, um, Priorities. <laughs> very good. <laughs> yeah, food, food's always high up on my list. <laughs> very good, man. Well, pleasure <laughs> catching up. Thank you very much Thank for joining in today, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Lovely. Cheers, Tom. One of the most interesting conversations that I have had through the lockdown period is with Gordy Robinson, and I had the pleasure of appearing on NMRX probably a month or so ago, maybe, I don't know, time has just fallen apart through this lockdown period. But one of the interesting things that I had a chance briefly to chat with with Gordy on uh, NMRX was associated with how a number, if not all the folks that are actually running this thing are outside the NMRA's core like must recruit demographics. So Gordy, if we could start the if we could start the political intrigue <laughs> in our <laughs> conversation. 
I mean, a great way to start. Speedy is so, just such an interesting character. I had a great pleasure of... He's been a long time listener to Model Rail Radio, but he, he likes listening in rather than actively participating. So, firstly, thank you for connecting me with him. But just, can you talk a little bit... I mean, obviously, you've been doing 24-hour ones, you've been doing so many... What's the total number of hours that you have currently recorded, thanks to NMRX? Oh, I... Um, 7200. <laughs> I'd say... Let's say, as of this morning, it was about 175 hours, right. and there is, as I've just ducked out to come and talk to you, there's a, a convention taking place today where we're doing uh, six simultaneous live streams for, where I'm putting out 27 hours of clinic, so we'll be over the 200 mark by the end of today. Wonderful, wonderful. And in terms of, I mean, you and I, we had a brief discussion because I appeared on Dazzy J's video cast proving once and for all that I have a face for audio podcasting. But one of the <laughs> things that we talked about was obviously the amazing work that you're doing. And certainly you've, you've hinted on this in the past and I don't necessarily talk about my professional life, but one of the things that I notice very quickly is that you're reaching that kind of capacity infrastructure kind of period. And firstly hats off for what you've done so far, because I mean, what you've done so far, particularly, you know, Treating the internet as an international network, among you know in Australia, obviously you and Orkney, the various points in this compass have been relatively great. But can you talk a little bit about like your infrastructural needs going forwards? Yeah, so so where we're at at this point is that this, of course, hasn't cost anybody a penny. It certainly hasn't cost the Anna Maria a penny, um, which is unusual, I would say, for anything normally that a large organization would do. But then, of course, that's because it's not a large organization doing it. Um, it's a group of, of modelers that I have influenced to come on board and, and help um, to to reach out and do something for a wider community of modelers um, around the world. And it just so happens to be by doing it under the NMRA banner that they also benefit. But in terms of infrastructure, yeah, we, we use all free software, uh, similar to yourself. Uh, we've got um, PCs of a reasonable quality. I'm not talking gaming PCs by any stretch. We're using a, a Dell Optimax that's 10 years old with Windows 7 on it. That's been our main <laughs> uh, streaming computer over on the Gold Coast in Australia, which yes. we've all used as a, as a web server. So we've all remotely operated that computer. Um, that's got us up until today. Today we have four, um, computers that are set up to stream. Mm -hmm. Uh, three are in use at the moment and one is a backup. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they can, they independently stream and, and we've got uh, now we've recruited a team of over 150 clinicians and mm -hmm production team we've trained we just trained two brad and speed have just been trained this past week mm. and, and i think the, the key thing for nmrex is you know we are reaching a we are reaching a point where to improve the quality we will need to make investment um but we've we've pushed in the i'm I'm all for rapid prototyping and rapid failure, and, sure. and unlike, unfortunately, the leadership of the NMRA, who are very good, at, and in some way, rightly, 
but very good at finding 2,000 ways, reasons not to do something. Yeah. I, I like to find 200 reasons why we can do something. Yeah, so, All you need is of, 20 good reasons. I mean, I well, think you, you found need one. Yeah, really. I only needed one. I think one, was our, one was our mission statement, uh, Tom. And like the mission statement I set down to the guys was that we should, uh, not just through this period of, of lockdown, because we've been planning this for 18 months, yeah. the, the, it was that we should connect modelers and, and enhance and fulfill their enjoyment of the hobby mm. without any um, prejudice or, or without any disadvantage or prejudice to anyone's location, abilities, or, or anything like that. Yes. And I think that's what the guys have been able to do. Without question. But as you know, the, the remit of the NMRA is slightly different to that. And I think, that let's, I mean, I, I've worked tirelessly in a variety of different areas for a number of years where basically my services have appeared to be no cost and I've worked without charging money, but that doesn't, I mean, the notion that this thing has been no cost is a very easy way for the NMRA to look at it and value it. But practically, and I know this because I volunteer, you know, for a variety of different things that isn't really meaningfully the case. What, what actually happens is, you have put in a huge amount of your personal time into this thing, right? Uh -huh. You have a young family. Uh, you have a variety of things that you could be doing with your time. And instead, I'm sorry, uh, DH Modeler, I'm just going to have to mute you. Um, and instead, you are selflessly devoting yourself to actually actively promoting the NMRA in a uh -huh. way that is touching, you know, potentially thousands of people. I've been through the video recently and had a wonderful opportunity to, I mean, doing Model Rail Radio, I meet a lot of people virtually anyway, but the intimacy that I've had through the video stuff that you've done, I was talking to, uh, to Neil in um, Hawaii last recording, I've seen his, his hobby desk and actually him using his hobby desk. And that to me was just amazing. It was just fascinating to see how he laid things out and, you know, his, his certain, you know, methodological approach to, you know, the stuff that he was doing. And I think it's uh, simply Jim Gore, a gentleman who I have all the time in the world for, you know, the ability to do video in these circumstances gives you a different level of connection with the, the clinicians. And I, I mean, I look at this very strongly with the sense of, I know exactly where you're coming from associated with volunteering to do this kind of stuff. And in particular, how you are incredibly forthright associated with, um, you know, the direction that you'd like to take this thing. In terms of this blueprint, one of the things that's fascinated me about what you do is that the we, we see this locally, but we see this with regards to Mike's later, in particular with TrainFest. There are a bunch of really quite large uh, model rail conventions that can no longer run through the lockdown period. And you offering your knowledge as a service to these entities, I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, one would hope that you're starting to think in terms of, like, a consultant or a cost basis or these kind of things. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so so we, we we are at the moment supporting our, today we're supporting one of the regions of the Annemarie that lost its national convention. I've spoken to Mike Slater. He hasn't come back to me. I think I scared him a little bit with what <laughs> I, I suggested I think was possible. Mike is, um, look, let's talk a little bit about Mike in that line. My perspective is he is a thinker and a doer, and sometimes he needs more time to think. So just give him the time to think. I think he's incredibly considered, and he also represents a number of folks that are probably less 
communicative than he is. So I think what has happened is probably he needs to go and talk to a lot of people and then come back to you. But enough. Oh of that. yeah, no, absolutely. It wasn't. It wasn't. That wasn't any. I know. Any, I'm teasing any, him too. Uh, I'm teasing him too. So, so the the yeah, I mean, we we supporting people. Look, there are there are other organisations out there that do provide these services um, to not for profits and for profit mm. for organising virtual conventions. It's not something that I want to do mm-hmm. um, certainly within the nmra we're offering advice guidance all the way up to a managed service mm. um, and we're not charging for that as unless the organization charges for that mm. um, and then but then the money would go to the nmra would not come to any of us directly and we you know i i don't want to say too much in terms of what i'm going to do because uh, there's more to come this was just this is just the tip of the iceberg certainly. of what I think it's possible in terms of education and learning and interaction and and community uh, that we can bring, and and, and not just in NMRA North American, but I think modeling and model railroad and modeling in general. And and I have big plans for that. And yeah, that may well be something that we monetize. It won't be something we do with the NMRA. Certainly. Unfortunately, I I think um, it's disappointing the, the leadership of the NMRA have not been as supportive as a, of us as they could be. Yeah. Um, certainly recently there's a few things gone on, um, like, for example, uh, NMREX has been discussed at the board level. Uh, we weren't invited to comment. We yeah, weren't asked certainly. any questions. Yeah. And so people were discussing this program without any knowledge of how it works or what happens, exactly. which is a recipe for complete disaster. Yeah. But unfortunately is endemic within the current leadership of the organization at a national level. Yes. There's, there's also, um, they're also involving lawyers and experts in, in intellectual property um, <laughs> and copyright, which oh, may well mean goodness. that the NMRA, just, just like how poorly, and I do agree with their, let me put this out there, I do agree with their child policy and, and the need to protect children sure, and vulnerable yeah. adults, absolutely. But the way in which that was, was delivered um, and I did advise. I'm not. I am. An, I am somebody, and then I am also nobody in the NMRA, depending who it suits. Without question. What time? Yeah. But the. Um, I did advise that the, before that child policy was released, that it was being done very poorly, and and there would be negative reaction, which of course there was. Certainly, if I was in a leadership role in the organisation, I would have made sure that that didn't happen yes. the way that it did. And I think what what there is a risk, a real risk right now, of. Um, the the lawyers without proper process just just saying you mustn't do this without actually saying how you could do it do it the whole thing of reasons why not to do something rather than reasons why that, that the nmra may ban yeah. virtual meetings yes may ban um or not ban but may make it very difficult for us to have a clinic clinician give a clinic yeah. may make it very difficult for nmrex to continue and and that's a real unfortunate real risk at big due to the interference i guess it's inevitable when you have an organization you, you have politics but uh, it's something that i could do without having to manage i could do with just focusing Simple. on delivering a quality product and the organization rather than trying to put things behind a member wall, trying to lock things down, actually turning around and, and saying, take our capitalist heads off for just one minute. <laughs> and believe me, I'm a capitalist at heart. Yes. But take our capitalist heads off for just one minute. And let's just say we're doing something here that is good for the hobby, yes. good for people's education and good for, and good for everyone. But and also good for the NMRA. I mean, this is, this oh, is the thing, good for the NMRA. This is the thing that is always lost through this, that, 
actually through outreach, which should be the basis of most charities, but somewhere lost in the NMRA's perspective, through doing this kind of stuff, you bring more people into the hobby, which brings more people into the NMRA. And moreover, it means that the really important part of an organization like the NMRA, which is in your life, I mean, you are the poster child for this. The reason that you are so passionate about the NMRA is because when you got involved with the hobby, it was centrally around the NMRA as well. The hobby is inextricably connected through your early experiences with the NMRA. Now, yes, why? I've got, I've got to say, just Tom, I've got yeah. to say, it's not the, the anima, what, there's a big thing about what is the anima ray and, and what, <laughs> what is it? Listen, I don't do this so that we can put more money in the coffers so that, um, it can help fund the organization. Yes. I'm doing this fundamentally for the grassroots, yes. for those people that took the time when I was a youngster, when I was a newbie to teach me and show me. So yeah. when we say the NMRA, I want us to be clear that the reason why I'm doing this and the reason why my team is doing this is actually nothing to do with the national thing and nothing to do with promoting necessarily the, the organization, although yeah. that's the obvious byproduct. It's for those people at the grassroots. It's for you, me, and everybody else that Amen. calls into your show. Amen. Without question. I'm not arguing that. I, in, fact, in fact, what I'm saying is that this is actually the wrongheadedness of the current board rather than the way that it should be. So, I mean, that's what I'm trying to say through this in some way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I've run for the board before. Mm-hmm. Um, I got more votes um, than uh, anyone, I think, ever has from the UK that's yes. gone for a non, uh, non-European director role. Sure. Um, and uh, that was nice. And, and I think that was before we were as well-known as we are now. Mm. And I think I think the organisations at a crossroads. I know they're struggling to get people to even be nominated for for the for the national yes. senior roles of, of president and vice president. So I'm going to put it out there now that I am putting my hat my name into the hat for that. Yeah. Um. And and to to see where where that goes uh, because I I I don't think that the people there are doing a bad job. I, I don't think that they they go. I don't think anyone runs for national office to do a bad job. I think they're doing a good job, and I think uh, they're keeping the organisation going. But it, it always needs. It's, if you look at the demographics of the and of the NMRA and the national board, it's it's unfortunately a group of of white men of a certain age, and um, I think that that doesn't doesn't unfortunately doesn't reflect the diversity of uh, model railroaders. Mm-hmm. It possibly reflects the lack of diversity within the NMRA. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't represent model railroaders. I'd like to see the organization and I think through NMRAX we've we've been able to show this, to show the true diversity in the in the hobby. Yes. To actually connect, reconnect with the models. Because I know that through this period of time, my expectation in, in April, my horror as I saw what was happening around the world was, oh dear, model model railroad model railway clubs and the NMRA is going to take a huge hit mm. in terms of membership. Now I know there's, there's, there's been, and Pico said this themselves last week, that this has felt like Christmas for six months yes. in terms of sales and the hobby, and it really yeah. has. But but um, the key thing that the NMRA and other organizations, Model Railway Clubs, hang their hat on is the social aspect of the hobby. Certainly. So what we've seen is in the British region, we've seen a reversal in a three-year trend of, of losing members. Yes. Um, the Australian region has seen an uptick in members. I know that I don't know what they've seen in the US, but I can guarantee because I've had people private message me and say, here, I've signed up for the NMRA because of NMRAX. Yes. I've signed up because now uh, my 
through through ourselves and others have encouraged more virtual meetings and meetups the that they've they felt more connected whereas they probably couldn't get to their uh local meetings for whatever reason um in the past now they can because they can do it from the comfort of their own home and and so people are joining the nmra or reconnecting with the nmra through this period so i think mm. that's been really positive so i personally don't want to see the i don't think the leadership can is seeing that at the moment mm. and i don't think they see that that benefit but I, that's not through their own fault because people only ever see things through their own lens uh but certainly I think that the just the time for change is now, mm-hmm. um, and, and I don't think that that what you've seen from me and my team up to now isn't is, is like I said just the tip of the iceberg. So yeah, it's it's been good. It's fun though. Oh, no question. No, I mean, I, look, my view is having worked for a variety of different organisations, the actual adrenaline, the initial positive response, everything is always there. I think, I mean, in my personal life, I've had circumstances of literally organizations that I've grown from the ground up, um, you know, membership increased, dramatic series of events. But then when I've needed them at points of, you know, conflict and hostility where things have come up against me, they've just never been there. And I think you are, a, a, I feel a like my, I feel a kinship, let me say, with the stuff that you're doing and the stuff that I've historically done for a variety of different organizations. Model Rail Radio, in many regards, is a learning from those experiences. So the independence that I've put into Model Rail Radio in large part has been because I've wanted to create something good and independent and also reaching out to a community. So uh, I've, you know, the NMRA has made various, not even like fledgling kind of <laughs> descriptions into what I do with Model Rail Radio. I've always kept it independent and I've always intended it to be totally independent. Let us talk about the potential. I mean, you, you've talked about other not NMRA affiliated conventions here, there's a, there's a prototype, you know, modelers group, which is a shadow of the NMRA, but certainly operates their own conventions locally. What kind of organizations within the hobby are reaching out to you currently? So we've had a few train shows reach out to us. We've had mostly it's local groups, whether that be a model railway club asking for advice about they, they want to do virtual meetings. How should they do it? Well, some people know, some people don't, but I, I'm the division rep for Scotland for the NMRA. We've held divisional meetings virtually, uh, since 2018. Um, so we, we see them helping on asking for help with that. How do we facilitate and structure it? Can we give them advice? And we do that. Um, we've seen people reaching out to do conventions is mostly regional. Mostly people that not already do conventions and ask for us for advice and, mm. and, and we provide that. And then if they want more help, then, then as long as it's an NMRA thing and it's free, we provide, we'll provide that. Right. Um, but what's interesting is I have a model that is ready to roll. I just don't have the people to work with at the moment yeah. to do a virtual train show properly. Yeah. Not do it on a Facebook group. Nothing. Not, no, no. I, I mean a proper train show where we have vendors you can set up meetings with the vendors and talk to the vendors you can walk through and look at what the vendors have vendors can offer um discounts uh on their models they can offer links to particular parts of their repos stores i have uh stuff where people can uh clubs and affiliate associations can also have booths at it and they can talk to people and people can make make conversations with Mm -hmm. them and book time to talk to the various people they can do 
similar through that same platform they can do presentations and layout tours and walk around our club room and look at our layouts and then have the conversations booked aside where 10 minutes 15 minutes where people can ask questions about their layouts or whatever i have that ready to go i've offered that to train fest um mm-hmm. uh, that's why i'm waiting for them to come back on but yes. uh, i i think that's the way that this can go i think i i've spent i've known i've going to be moving to orkney for two years and mm-hmm. and so i've been preparing for that uh, isolation of living near the North Pole mm. um, for, for two years. And one of my things that I've thought about, and it's possibly for my pers- professional life as well as personal life, is how can everything and anything you can do face-to-face now, and it literally mean everything that doesn't mm. involve passing something physically to one person to another, can be done pretty much instantly in, in a remote world. That's mm. from uh, operating somebody's layout to having a meeting to doing online courses to uh, anything. Mm. You, you can do pretty much anything through the internet right now. Um, you know, I can even, I could even have a coffee, I could even potentially connect to a coffee machine with a Raspberry Pi and make mm-hmm. you a coffee uh, from Orkney. So, yes. so yeah, every, everything's possible and it can only, that can only enhance. So, I, I my team and myself with the help of my team want to get to a point where everything that an organization can would do and everything that a modeler would do where mm. they connect with somebody else they can do it on an online space and it doesn't be, mean that we're doing all of it but if we can help people learn how to do it mm-hmm. and do it themselves that's what i want to do i don't want to turn my hobby into a business <laughs> yes absolutely not yeah i saw my father do that uh, all through my formative years, and I saw what it did to him, yes, and I saw to his relationships in the hobby yes. uh, that are still strained and damaged to this day. Twenty years after he finished in in, in the model railway business, yes. um, so I don't want to do that myself. That's not yeah. what I want to do. So, but yeah, I, the, the 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 in terms of you asked where the conventions go, well, mm-hmm. that's kind of where people are asking. But if you're still thinking that this is that we the only thing that can the the uh, like the, uh, the the summit of this is to do online conventions then mm-hmm. you're probably about 18 months behind where we are without question without question i'm not sure if you followed james Wright at all he's someone who i've interviewed um a few times through model rail radio but i've followed his trajectory he ran a i don't know what it would call it it was kind of like a a manufacturer's zoom call it went on for about are you familiar with his work I, I, I'm familiar with James. Yeah, I helped James get into the to get a press pass actually in Kansas City, uh, so he could uh, <laughs> go and do the national train show as part of my duties of unofficial duties with the marketing team and the social media team of the NMRA. Um, yeah, I'm familiar. I talked to James. He's a he's a friend on on Facebook, and and we talk. Uh, I wish we could have done something better. Yeah, I wish we could have worked together for that because yes. we probably could have helped them. Um, I found it very strange, actually, in contrast to the stuff that you do. And, I mean, I've got all the time in the world for James, and I really do admire a lot of the stuff that he's done, particularly through bringing, you know, there's a bias in this hobby, which is rather curious. Clark Cooning represents this perfectly. He's not on the call currently, but I can say it probably in his absence. Where everything, where you try to, the best, you know, this is the MMR program, for example. However, there's a bunch, for every one MMR, there are, you know, tens, if not hundreds, if not potentially thousands of modelers out there. And I like a lot of the plurality that James has brought to this hobby by not making it pretentious in some regard. 
But I do, he has been remarkably successful, both with regards to Model Railroad and the manufacturers. But the thing that they put together, I found really, like, lessons have not been learned, basically, associated with that. Well, let's let's change, like, like, I don't like the way you said that. Let's say this, um, lessons weren't shared. Uh, Not lessons weren't learned, learned, because (laughs) that's the first time that they've done that. And they experienced um, exactly the same problems that we did in April. And uh, I know we connected. It's a shame. Hindsight's a great thing, but we probably would have benefited from us having that conversation. But, I mean, one thing that we've learned from this is people can't do you cannot do live presentations with the technology that's available to somebody yes uh, as in as in available to somebody of a normal level i mean yes. i mean uh, by all means if you work in a technology company that's got a one gigabit per second connection then yes you probably can and if you're familiar and comfortable with talking on camera and showing mm. then great i mean if it, if it would have been us the one key bit of information we would have given to them and i like listen i think it was fantastic what they did for a first ever ever doing that Mm. it was fantastic it had over a thousand people watching it i think unfortunately they lost about 300 viewers when the thomas stuff was announced Mm. but you know thomas is strong in the hobby um (laughs) but they they still averaged i I managed to watch three hours of it but then it was the middle of the night in the uk and i had work in the morning but but they had over a thousand viewers the one thing i would say is if anyone's thinking of doing that the piece of advice I would give to everyone is any demos of something should be pre-recorded. And if people are going to be, uh, you should always ask someone to do a sound check in advance and get them to show you what they're going to present. Yeah. Uh, even if you have to sign an NDA in the terms of manufacturers and yes. stuff like that, because you want to, manage the because the content yes it's the manufacturers providing their content but you own the professionalism of your presentation so um you you know i didn't want to tune into something to watch a manufacturer be lazy and scroll down a website yeah i you know and i know i know from my professional life that it costs a lot of money to put together a professional little video yes but if it but it doesn't have to be a professional video you could have just pre-recorded that if it was us that would have been all those segments would have been pre-recorded there would have been talking and questions to the presenter but yeah. as we do could do it like a ted talk 10 minutes which is i think what they tried to do and we but we would have recorded any of the demos yes. because then you're able to make sure the camera focuses properly yeah. you don't have buffering issues and all that other stuff but you and can also talk didn't... over it as well i mean i think the yes the receiver i mean i only saw it through youtube which meant that i saw it through I don't know whether it was 16, it was more than 16 cameras all at the same time, which yeah. kind of lost focus. I mean, I think James, hats off to him for doing it for a start. I agree. And apologies for the, the um, necessarily the direction that I took it. I just think what we are missing here collectively is learning, and it's difficult within the hobby, without question. What interests me, which I'd like to talk to you about a little bit, because you kind of hinted at it, is what we can learn from other hobbies and just like long distance learning in general through this period mm-hmm. of time. Because I think a number of other hobbies, my wife is a quilter. I'm absolutely fascinated with the stuff that the, the quilting community has been able to do through the lockdown. I think the element, there are a series of elements of joy and wonder, which I just find absolutely captivating what they're doing currently. Mm-hmm. But let's finish off with the James Wright. More power to him. Hopefully these things yep. will improve. The nature that all these manufacturers now fully acknowledge that there is benefit in doing what they did, I think is a, a large learning for the hobby. 
Well, the first time you do everything, <laughs> you you know, the first time you do everything, it's always your first attempt in learning, yeah. which is always a fail. Um, to some somewhere, it's going to fail. However, I think James, it was extra, and uh, I can't think of the guy's name, but the guys from Train World, I think it was extremely positive for the hobby. I think it was a fantastic thing that you did. Yes. If you do it again and you want our help and support. We we're, we're more than willing to help and support as long as you're not directly making any any coin out of it, <laughs> and you are just doing it for the modelers, which yeah. is what they do a lot of. I would help. I, I personally don't think Zoom is the right platform Agreed. necessarily to do it, but but then we can talk and we can work together. I think we need to work together more. I don't want to turn what we're doing into an infomercial channel though, but um, I think we can all work together. We should all be working together, not just because of this time period of time but we should work together because we enjoy the hobby and yes god we're only on this planet once why do, we always have to, why do we always have to try and get one up on everyone why do we always have to be so competitive so yes. let's just work together yeah for the benefit of everyone so i'm it i'm it let's talk a little bit about something like you said that, you, that you've hinted at here what have you learned from other hobbies through this period of time are you i mean are, are you keeping tabs on other hobbies associated with how they're doing this kind of stuff and I mean, what, what's your thinking about that? So yeah, I, we I, I we are keeping tabs on it. I think um, I think some some other hobbies are struggling. I know, um, for example, musical hobbies and arts and arts and culture are struggling at this point. Mm. But I think one thing that they've they've been able to do is uh, see that by doing things digitally, you have increased reach. Now, one thing I about I not necessarily learned through this period, but I can learn from observing living in an island community, is that um, people coming together and working together across across boundaries, which in these cases are physical and in our own mind's eye, and not actually in you know don't really exist, is what I think the most most other hobbies have found, and and. I, I have something that we're going to do in the near, in the next six months that when we do it will be something that no one else has done before. Um, and, and, and that, you know, we'll have an educational slant on it for people and it could go to other hobbies. But I think that the, the thing that other hobbies have got that we haven't in model railroading is they have the ability to take information down into consumable bits of information that's less than 15 minutes and and within by watching a video within 15 minutes you can learn it some people on youtube can can do it mm. um but one thing that you'll see in other hobbies is you see these infomercial videos on youtube no one's doing those on model railroading at the moment um and that's basically a five minute video that uses cartoons but it's, it brings it down to a level where mm. it assumes zero knowledge mm. and and that that's a great thing that other hobbies are doing to, to, to get people involved and, 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 and stuff. I think the, that's where we, we're going to go. Uh, what we can see from NMRAX is that, uh, the average watch time mm-hmm. from everyone is about 17 minutes. Mm. Some people watch for four hours. Mm. Some people, Andy Ambrose, watch for <laughs> 115 hours <laughs> in one week. Yes. Um, but, um, you know, the average watch time is 17 minutes. TED Talks are 10 to 15 minutes. Um, the, the world is trying to consume information in smaller chunks. The human brain consumes information in smaller chunks. If people have been listening to the whole of this podcast without a break, and I've talked for more than 20 minutes now, most people have, have switched off by this point. Yeah. Um, or, or they'll need to go back and listen to it. <laughs> I, I edit the audio thoroughly. So, it 
it, it will not be you 20 minutes. Say, I know, you'll cut me out. But, <laughs> but the, the thing is, that's, that's, what, that's the biggest piece of learning I can give to people, yeah. is how can you make things consumable um, and, and, and how can you make people think differently? That's the two biggest things that have come out from this. People started to think differently in terms of the, the non-existent boundaries that they put up in the past mm. for whatever reason, power or geography or just didn't realize that they put the boundary up in the first place and the second thing is that people more people than ever are putting together decent content and that content though is in consumable chunks i'm sure you've seen that in the quilting world i mean it takes it takes six months to sometimes to do a quilt if you You can't do a six month (laughs) video yeah well i mean i think i think what's interesting if, if, if i could talk about this a little bit from my experience with nmrax the thing that I've noticed through my wife's quilting things, and a lot of these are done by companies. They're, they're strictly for money. It isn't a, an outpouring of community in that regard. But one of the things that they're learning is that, uh, as you say, talking for more than 15 minutes at a time is not ideal. In fact, bringing, you know, bringing the community together in 10, 15 minute increments seems to be the way that it works out. Now, the thing that I've noticed with the stuff that my wife does, and she and I are actually sharing a hobby room uh, through the lockdown, which she tells me, apparently, allegedly, I will be able to continue even after the lockdown. So let's see. But what I, what I find through watching my wife's experience with the quilting stuff is that they stop and talk as a kind of collective group with a frequency that I haven't seen yet with NMRAX. And certainly my experience that I've talked with other folks that presented in NMRAX was the, the natural I mean, when I when I do clinics, NMRA, what have you, I typically look for questions or just look for movement in the crowd, so to speak, when eyes glaze over, these kind of things. But more importantly, most people have questions in a more, you know, within that 15, 10-minute period. So you'll talk 15, 10 minutes, questions, fifteen, and the formality of the 40-minute talking also means that some of the spontaneity is kind of lost through that. Have you... Have you received feedback associated with that aspect of it? And is there any discussion uh, associated with changing that? So, so here's the problem. Um, we, we want people to be able to claim volunteer and AP points. Um, and the NMRA's uh, marker for that is 30 minutes minimum. Your clinic must be 30 minute duration. Okay. Um, and that's a traditional thing. That's rules probably not changed for a very, very, very long time. Um, so yeah, I, I think that we are working on a model now that would probably go into two, split this into two ways. Mm. One would be that we'll do 15-minute introductory clinics, and then we might do a separate session somewhere else or a video with that clinician where we do the full 45 minutes. And then um, it becomes more like a video magazine than um, a you know long drag. I think Certainly. if we have multiple clinic rooms, it doesn't really matter because yeah. just like cable TV, if there's not something <laughs> over here on stream one that you like, go to stream three. Oh, if there's no. not something on stream on stream two, stream one, two or three that you don't that you like, well, there's 200 hours of previous content. Certainly. Go look at it. So, yes. so and and certainly one thing I do think though that NMRX has brought to the NMRA that. The two things that is brought to NMRA clinics or model railroading clinics and education that we didn't really have in the past is the ability to reach the reach. Mm-hmm. So the ability by that to speak to these modelers like Neil in Hawaii and other people and the ability to see into their world. 
some of these people and and some famous, more famous people, if you could say that, within the hobby, are kind of have demigod status, without question, <laughs> and, and like untouchable status, uh, status, and then, but actually now it's like um, there's no first aid jitters. They're in there, you know, they're they're in there. You're, you're talking to them from their home. There's that homemade feel to it, right? That would potentially be that's, that's that makes it different from other, other things that are out there because other things that are out there are all pre-canned nobody else is mental enough to try and do educational clinics live mm. <laughs> uh, or hasn't been and mm. and we we've done that we, we we still can hone that but but that's what i think is the difference interesting okay so okay so there are two parts to this thing certainly something as well and i know you know martin and co are probably working on this currently the blocks of six-hour videos on YouTube currently are interesting to navigate. I know some of them have been broken up. Mine has not yet been broken up. But yeah. the numbers that you're seeing may be representative more of the six-hour... When you say 17 minutes, people scanning through, and I know you get this data through YouTube, um, but scanning through and finding you know, certain clinicians or certain things, mm-hmm. which has been my experience. You know, I'll skip through large sections and I'll come back and I'll watch it later. And I'm actually artificially breaking it up into, as you say, these 17 minute segments. Well, so well, the, that, the, no, no, that, that was, um, that's, that, that data was from during the actual live stream. Oh, okay. So, so that's during the live stream. So okay. what we know is that, um, and some of our clinicians are great. They're really knowledgeable, but I, I think it's like sometimes we turn the fire hose on a bit. <laughs> And and people feel like they're drinking from a fire hose, yes. and they're like, I can't take any more of this. I'm going to have to come back to it. Yeah. And so that's more where we were coming from. So I think what we're going to what we're going to try to do is is do um, if we if we so let's say this. So the NMRA has this 30 minute clinic thing. Well, it doesn't say that the clinic can be not chopped up. Yeah. So we're thinking now of we can chop this clinic up just like you can chop an article up. So so an article. I don't know if you've if you actually have a Read of a British region yep. of the Edinburgh yep. magazine, but but we break well. We Peter Bowen, who's the editor, breaks mm-hmm. articles across multiple issues, yeah. and he does that so that you can't, so that you're not trying to consume a six-page article. You're just consuming it in two to three-page chunks every few months, yeah. and you're able to keep following it, and you can go away and try something, and then you'll get the next, and you can try Certainly. it more, and so you're able to consume it at your own pace. And I think that's. That's the model we'll be going into. We'll, we'll we'll string some of those together into a live stream. They may not all be live. Yes. And um, that may mean that we move away from potentially the live Q and A, which I know people like. But I think what I I think I like. We tried something in Gateway X, where we had uh, roundtables. Yes. And I didn't know how it was going to work. We tried this Ask the MMR, but that yep. unfortunately I think proved that. MMRs are not masters of everything. They're a master model railroad that's reached the standard. And this is what I mean. What what I find through the Ask the MMR thing was that I, through doing this show, have personal connections with a number of MMRs, and actually seeing them live, I gave them probably maybe I'm not the demographic here, but I certainly gave them more time for exactly what you're saying, just because I think they are. I don't know if you spent any quality time with like Jim Gore, for example. Oh, this, yeah, a lot. This it's gentleman a lot is a polymath, right? You, in, being in his presence, you gain more from the world than you could in just with mere mortals. Clark Cooning is similar, but in different ways. So, I mean, I think the, you know, the nature of some of these people is just absolutely fascinating. And to see them on video, I, you're right, there are various technical and what have you. But yeah, 
I, I, the asking MMR was one of my favorite things that you've done. And, um, I don't want you to slight it in any way because for me, it was just an amazing opportunity to see some of these gentlemen in a fashion that I just don't normally get to do. Oh, no, I mean, I see MMR is great and it's not something that's going away. Um, but we tried this, we tried roundtables to do, um, expert panels on particular subjects so that we, so that we had a hybrid because we did have some MMRs come into that. So we had kind of a hybrid because sometimes the more technical questions that were, have been asked on Ask the MMR have possibly been beyond the experience of the people present, which is fine. Mm. And that's, that's always going to be the case because I am yet to meet a person that knows everything. But, uh, I've met a few that think that, but not actually that do. And, and so I think um, what I see as a as a model that we'll probably be trying in September is that we'll go to shorter clinics, and mm-hmm. at the end of the live session, we'll bring all of our clinicians together mm. and do a roundtable together where people can ask them questions about their um, their clinic or, mm-hmm. or anything like that and other people can chime in and then and then we can get the conversation going and we can kind of have the kind of chat show round up at the end and i think that kind of rounds it off a little bit better mm-hmm. we'll test it we, we believe i believe fully in rapid prototyping mm-hmm. um we've we've tried a, a number of things that have failed uh, we fail fast we fail often but we, mm-hmm. we we learn from every failure so so that's probably what we're going to attempt to do um see how it goes if it doesn't work we'll go back and revert to something else and We'll take it from there. You know, it's not the end. We, we haven't got a set model. Um, it isn't set in stone, and it, it's always developing. The technology is always developing as well. I think there's been oh, a technological, yeah. digital, the the revolution in digital transformation within all hobbies, but per, you know, outside of our hobbies, just within our, our personal and professional lives in the last eight months has been enormous, and uh, and the technology continues to keep a pace with the the current culture uh, mm-hmm. is to, to keep that so so i don't think that the way the way nmrx was delivered at gateway x was totally different from the way it was delivered without question, without and, and, and that's that's the way yeah. uh, it continues to go so we'll try it we'll see but uh, it's that that's where the virtual conventions go wonderful the, the other stuff that's coming you, you'll love it you'll love it when it comes out i know you will very good look Gordy, it's been an absolute pleasure once again to catch up with you please <sighs> Having done this thing for more than 10 years now, the NMRA board is uh, a fickle crew. It's interesting, actually, just on that point, the open LCB community has been one of the few groups open source to its core that has been able to navigate through the NMRA board. And I wonder if there's some learning that you could have with these folk as well, because they have been able to navigate through the NMRA board for something which is now part of the NMRA standards. But they're kind of open source political anti-political movements stunned me because my first interaction with the board was more than 10 years ago was with regards to a CAN bus technology that they were trying to, some people were trying to push up and I was like, uh. anyway, so, I mean, I, well, we got, yeah. was speed, speed was, speed's part of that group. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're taking the best of the brightest. Very good. So I, I have a very good team uh, very good. Of, of experience, but I should say just in case anyone's listened to this and thinks, oh, I need to run to anyone in the, <laughs> God, he's gone rogue. <laughs> but, um, the the things I talk about are rumblings in the distance. We yes. can see the storm clouds are unfortunately gathering. Yeah. Those storm clouds gathered around the LCB boys as well, and the, what became LCC. Those storm clouds come and go. Yeah. Um, I, I think that we, we will navigate it uh, as best we can. Uh, we probably won't 
take things as far as we were going to now, we'll probably go off in a slightly different direction yeah. just to make sure that we've got independence. But the open SCB folks had their independence as well. I mean, I think that's what interests me with them too, is that mm-hmm. you might need a degree of independence which gives you an ability to move in different directions here. But look, more power that's- to you. Your energy is so welcome. Um, particularly someone who's been trying to emphasize to the NMA board, amongst others, the d- digital free open communication is the way to grow this hobby and, you know, all, all boats rise. So hats off to you always, Gordy, with regards to what you're doing. I did have a little footnote here. The stuff that you say about Orkney, I have found this. Tom, age 10, wrote from Australia to a, a magazine in the UK, which I have since found since we last spoke, the actual magazine article with my little Tom, age 10 piece asking for a pen pal. I got a pen pal from the Shetlands. He and I corresponded for many years. Wow. A lot of what you say about Orkney, the Shetlands is even further north. So. <laughs> it, it is 100 miles further north. Um, it's one degree further north, yeah, and they've no trees either. But here's here's a little story, and I know I've been talking a quite a long time now, but a little story for you from what happened at Gateway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought I was living in a complete desert here. I did, I knew I wasn't because I'm a member of the Two Mills Association. Actually, there's five Two Mill modelers in Orkney wow. on the islands, um, on different islands. Oh, unfortunately, on different islands. So oh, at the moment, it's a bit difficult <laughs> to uh, have a meeting. But um, the, I, I got an email on the Wednesday of the middle of Gateway X, um, which is nice because I got, I've only ever, the only thanks I've got is from actual members. I've never had a thank you email from the board, but that's fine. <laughs> and, uh, I got an email from this guy called Terry who said, I've, uh, I hope you don't mind, but I've, I've looked up the guide for Gateway. I've been watching it with my wife and my mother-in-law and we absolutely love it. It's been fantastic. Like, it's like model railway TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he said, so I looked up the guide. And then I noticed you'd put you you lived in Orkney, mm-hmm. and then I put the coordinates in, and I noticed that you lived near the school in Bury. Mm-hmm. He said, and then I went and and then and then I went on the Annamarie British Region website and I looked you up, and then I found your contact information, and that's how I email you. Mm-hmm. By the way, I live in Bury, which is the island where I live. Mm-hmm. He said I live at um, I live on the seafront. Um, this is the directions to my house. Come around the back and just walk straight in the door, which obviously I didn't do because <laughs> of the, <laughs> the whole thing. But he said the door, the back door doesn't have a lock on it. Just walk through the door, which is an Orkney thing. People don't like locking the houses so much that they don't yes. actually have locks on their doors. Yes. Um, and interestingly, his phone number um, is number 15 in the village at the end of the telephone exchange. Uh-huh. And mine's number 58, and mine's the newest house in the village, and his is probably about 300 years old. Sure. Uh, and, yes, yeah, so now I have a model railroader in Orkney who I met through doing Believe this, me. who actually lives 100 metres from my house, Believe who me. I would never have known about. And that's the power of what this is. Amen. Amen. Gordy, hats off to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Absolute pleasure catching up with you. More power to you and your energy... And your vision with regards to this thing is exactly what this hobby needs. So thank you for everything that you do. And thank you in particular for calling in today. Pleasure catching up. Thank you. I'll, uh, I'll let you get back to it. It sounds like you've I'll, got plenty I'll, of stuff I'll to look at. I'll hang around for kind of 10 minutes if there's anyone that's on the call. I know it's not many people on the call, but if there's anyone who wants to wants you to ask me a question or wants to ask me a question, I suppose I can hang around. Yeah, we've got a Lawrence hangering. He, he's, he tends to be... Uh, you know, borderline social. Let's see what Lawrence. Let me let me stop and restart the recorder. We'll have a chat with Uncle Larry.
like to welcome on Lawrence Hagering. Uncle Larry, what has been going on with the model railroading hobby with you recently? I've been seeing Snossich cars. I've been seeing a bunch of different stuff coming through Facebook. Sounds like you're up to up to no good. What's going on? I'm always up to good. Very good. Um, yeah, I have been extremely busy. I've actually picked up uh, two new clients. Um, one is a layout I actually designed for someone else about Gosh. four years ago. Gosh. And uh, so I visited him, and now he's at the point where he wants some animation and some things added to it, and as well as uh, some extra scenery ideas I have. So I'm I'm undertaking that this uh, – I made my initial visit this week. Um, I did build a new Schnossage car, mm-hmm. which uh, I think you saw it was actually going to be a, a – um, a weathering project, in other words, for a customer to practice weathering on. Mm. So now I have to go find some old Tyco cars. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Let, let's talk about the. I mean, when you build a layout, do you do you kind of slide business cards into various joins and things? How? how I mean, I guess you have a local community, which means that the person that acquires the layout can find, you know, the provenance, want a better term, associated with the layout. Is that the case here? That just in the sale of the layout, they noted, oh, if you want additional work. Go back to the guy that built it. It it's been interesting. It's been all number of ways. Um, uh, um, I had a fellow call me who's trying to dispose of some, uh, you know, things his father had for trains from the early '60s, and um, he found my website just by a Google search. And uh, but I others there is a hobby shop down in Daytona that I've done a a lot of work for his customers. And they all just, you know, they're, they're pleased with my work. So mm. we get a lot, I get a lot of referrals that way. Interesting. Um, I'm trying to keep, keep it manageable. I don't want to, I'm trying to guard my words, but I'm trying to put out quality work without it being all about the money. And anybody that sees my rates realizes it's not about the money. Mm. Uh, it's, I, I have done probably 10 layouts that were already built by people in the 60s and 70s. Mm. And we did retrofits to make them reliable mm. because there was an emotional attachment to them. Well, I Certainly. built this layout with my dad, and anybody can build you a new layout. Yes. Uh, I think the the ability to take what's there and improve it and make it reliable is worth a lot more in some people's eyes yes. because it, it becomes like a keepsake, you know? Mm. And... Uh, and that gives me more joy than anything, Tom. I, uh, while I love building new layouts and the design aspect and all that, um, when when I get an opportunity to take somebody's layout and they're frustrated because it's got brass track and turnouts and mm. and the cars uncouple and you know yes. all that and can go in and spend six eight hours and fix it up and make it work reliably, that it gives me a great amount of pleasure. Mm. So. There's there's multiple aspects to how it how it happens, but most of my stuff comes via referral. And yes. I have I have uh, I've turned down a few customers just because I wasn't the fit for what they needed done, you know. And uh, you know, in many cases, I went over, got them up and operating, but I was not the guy to take care of the other things they wanted done. Mm. So interesting, you know, interesting. And there is another fellow down here that kind of does a little. Uh, layout work. He's actually a a pretty good uh, Lionel guy, mm-hmm. and he does excellent scenery work. So if I'm backed up, 
you know, and I, it's a scenery job. I'll make the introduction. If they can work it out, great. If not, they just will wait for me, you know, and, and it's worked both ways. Mm. So yeah. interesting. Interesting. Does that make sense? Certainly. Let's talk about this because it always fascinates me. I mean, we talk about, you know, for example, people acquiring parts of John Armstrong's layout, right? So, you know, that's a layout that was built in the 1950s, 1960s, this kind of time period. What When you come to a layout that was built in the 1960s and you're looking to, they're looking to modernize it or just, I mean, there's a, there's a fine line between adhering to the reverence of the time period and then just putting static grass everywhere, right? So, I mean, right. what? How? How do you? I mean, you obviously have to have a great sensitivity with regards to the layout owner as well to get a sense of where they want to be in this process. But in terms of the layouts that you've you've you know brought up to date, obviously you probably start with the electrics, right? Yes. Um, the, there's a big difference today in the wiring for a modern locomotive as there was to a locomotive in the 60s. A locomotive in the 60s typically drew an amp to an amp and a quarter of current draw. New locomotives draw 100 milliamps to 150, okay? Um, a lot of times, if it's an older engine and they want to run DCC, it's a relatively easy conversion uh, to convert the layout. But I also have a standard I do with feeders that's a little bit more aggressive than in NMRAs. Hmm. And um, because of that standard, I have increased reliability. Yes. Uh, in other words, a lot of layouts in the 60s, if you threw the switch points, it routed the power, say, to uh, the leg of that thing. Well, with DCC, you no longer need to use that that power routing necessarily yeah. because the engine is controlled, you know. So you put an extra feeder in, and it actually backfeeds through the turnout, and you're not relying on that mechanical connection. Yeah. And uh, it improves the reliability. So there's that type of thing. And, um, yeah, I don't just throw static grass down. In fact, most of the, a couple of the layouts I've done had extremely beautiful scenery mm. that just needed freshening up. So some vacuuming and mm -hmm. a little fresh ground foam and some washes and and that type of thing took care of it. But by another token, one of them, the guy loved the track plan. He didn't pay much for the layout, but mm. it just would not run. Mm. So in the short term, I looked at him and said, look, you can pay me a bunch of hours or let's just buy some new turnouts, yes. some new flex track, and let's redo Relay. this. Yep. And, and I did that, and we added a couple extra a couple extra sidings and things. It was a... You know, Five by nine layout, so okay. it wasn't gigantic. Yeah, but uh, now he runs trains for hours and in hours and hours. And if you asked him when the last derailment he had was, he would have a hard time telling you. Yeah, interesting. So interesting. So it's 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 about finesse and detail. Anybody can hurry through doing this work. I tend to be a little, you know, as we've discussed in the past, I'm a bit OCD. So <laughs> just I, a little, I, uh, a little petite, just, <laughs> just enough that you'd notice. Yeah. And, but that's perfect for doing quality track work. You know, um, you have to be futzy with it. You can't just throw it down and say, Oh, it's going to work fine. It's not going to happen. Yes. You know, you have to futz with the details to make it right. Certainly. And, uh, so, yeah, and that's that's kind of the way I I handle this, and they're often shocked when 
you know, if I've put in some extra time and I feel like, you know, hey, we didn't really accomplish everything I wanted to, I'll cut them an invoice and it'll have two or three free hours on there. Mm -hmm. They freak out. It's like, what do you mean? (laughs) You know, I said, no, I just, you know, it's not going the way I think we should. And I want to give something back. Yeah. And, and that's just me. That's how I do things. Yeah. So, well, you've, uh, you've been in corporate America and doing what you're doing is so much different, so much. Yeah. I mean, it's such a different, the quality is such a different experience that I understand exactly where you're coming from with that kind of stuff. Makes perfect well, sense to me. This way with the corporate world too. The, the if I put out a report, it was gone over every which way, but but uh, loose yes. to try and find something wrong with it. You yeah. know. Yeah. And uh, oftentimes, oftentimes they didn't like the responses that came out of it, but it was properly analyzed, and the decisions had to be made based on that. Certainly. You know. Certainly. So. Interesting. So even through the lockdown, you're getting new customers. You're, I guess, I mean, in terms of the sound modules and things like that, have you steady traffic on that or? No, I'm actually don't sell very many of them. Um, Typically word of mouth. Now I did send one to our Canadian friend Clark and it only took like four and a half weeks to get there. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. My experience, Germany is currently the hardest country to get in and out of. I've had packages to Germany and from Germany that have taken five, six weeks. In in the US, Chicago, any mail that goes through Chicago internationally add three, four weeks on easy. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's interesting, actually. The lockdown has made me very familiar. I've got a bunch of um, priority mailboxes. I'm sending stuff both within the US and also internationally. Uh, but yeah, it is an interesting thing tracking how long the mail's taking in a given direction. Well, and it was hilarious because it it left the U.S. in four days. Oh yeah, and it, I think it was three weeks, two days. Yeah, just to be honest. And but realize where Clark is, and certainly, and to give the the Canadian Postal Service um, their props, the address on the box was correct. The address on the form when I filled it out was correct because I went back and looked. But the um, the U.S. postal guy put on the tax declaration had the wrong number, the wrong street number. Mm-hmm. So that may have been part of it, although I doubt it. I mean, Clark yeah. lives just, you know, he lives um, about 200 yards north of Nanook in the north. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Have you seen the size of the flies? <laughs> yeah, I, I lived in Keflavik, Iceland. I know about large flies. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. And mosquitoes. Mosquitoes that carry birds away. <laughs> yes. yes. It's interesting, actually. In my experience in Australia with spiders, is exactly the same thing. If you see a spider that can uh, easily pick up and take away a bird, you have a different respect for the critter after that, actually. <laughs> Yeah, I also lived in the southeast. I lived in the Philippines for two and a half years. So uh, the yes. jungles there, you know, lizards <laughs> that are five feet long that will, you know, look at your foot as if, hmm, I think I can win. Possibility, <laughs> a definite possibility. So interesting, interesting. In terms of the lockdown, are you seeing any easing in that? Are you What's your lockdown experience currently? Um, well, my wife works with the elderly. So we are overly cautious because we don't want to carry anything to them. So on that aspect, for instance, uh, 
I've been to Walmart once in four weeks. The yeah. grocery store is typically once a week. Yeah. And I can't tell you the last. I think my wife was in a store three weeks ago, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're being cautious as if this is an, an epidemic, a severe epidemic of the flu. Fancy which that. They're equal, you know. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. We're trying to do the responsible thing. Most uh, taking the politics aside of it is if it was any other kind of flu or anything and it was this pervasive, then mm. we would we would take the same types of um, yes. steps. So, yes, there is. a. have noticed the you know, the U.S. media is bragging about the uh, quantity of cases that are showing up in Florida. But if you look at them, the majority of them are uh, almost three Force, I think it is, or near Miami, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, in those counties down yeah. there. And but we're also testing ten times as many people as we were yeah. in the beginning. So you know, when you test one hundred and fifty thousand, if you get fifteen hundred, do the math. Yeah, you know what I mean. You're you're still you know you're still percentage wise. Yeah, you're a little higher, but you're bound to be just because of the sheer quantities. And those quantities went up because Florida also, for instance, my wife Mm. is mandated. She tests every two weeks. Mm. So, um, she, you know, they bring a testing kit to her employer and they test her right there. And within two days, she knows, you know, that she's negative. Yeah. So, So with that being the case in all of these retirement homes down here, and trust me, we have a lot. Yes. Um, there's just that sheer number of tests will go up, you yeah. know. So you have to be careful. Data can mislead you. And, again, being OCD, I try hard to be honest about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, our county has just revised all the numbers. So I'm probably equivalent, maybe even more OCD than you are. And on a daily basis, took down the uh, rates and the deaths, the fatalities. Um, and now our county has completely revised all those numbers, which is a very curious thing. Um, also, we track deaths by zip code here, and those numbers don't add out to the numbers that the county's putting out. So there's a whole uh, lot exactly of... Exactly the same thing here. I, <laughs> I, the, the state... The state... Um, website doesn't match what the national website has. So I, you know, you, you become curious. And then, and then there's, there's also miscounts. So if, and I can tell you this from a uh, personal thing because my daughter and son-in-law were both COVID positive. Okay. Mm. Um, they, my daughter went and was retested and was negative. Mm. Uh, she was actually symptomatic a little longer than her husband. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he went back and he tested positive the second time. Well, yeah. the problem with that is that second positive was considered a new case. It wasn't considered an existing case. Mm. So that, that skews the numbers too. So I, I think they're trying to figure it out. And, um, yes. you know, and, yes. and, 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 my gosh, I mean, did you ever think we'd see something like this? I just never really dreamed it. I used to know? do a podcast where we used to speculate about potential apocalyptic and post-apocalyptic scenarios, just from a simulation standpoint. I mean, that's where I talked to right. this as a basis of. I There are so many different possibilities for this thing. It's interesting because I've made a few kind of cash bets on certain things associated with apocalypses, which I've been able to 
not make money on, but at least break break even on. Break even, yeah. Um, and I've done that in ways where, for example, my wife thought I was clinically insane, um, <laughs> and um, she knows me more intimately than anyone, so maybe she could do the diagnosis better than anyone. But no, I the nature of this thing is something that I had I've talked to others about through a simulation perspective. What has what is different here is the way that um, parts of the economy are still maintaining themselves, which I wouldn't have necessarily predicted through my simulation. And what interests me through that is that there will be, and there already are, but there will be in the future far greater class divides, um, which I think is incredibly, has the potential for incredible danger, um, particularly in the part of the world that I live in, but also pretty well universally throughout the US. Because as soon as this goes on, if it goes on for longer periods of time, and the financial divides become greater and greater, I'm not in a demographic where I necessarily, like, irrespective of surviving the, you know, COVID-19, the financial disparities could create circumstances which I find considerably more troubling. Um, so, yeah, I, I have I have participated in discussions about potential pandemics and other things that would create the circumstances that we see currently. What I don't like currently is the how the data could potentially be projected. In fact, it was interesting, last recording um, I had on, uh, uh, well, just by speculating on this, um, I don't think the recording got heated in any way, but I'm going to edit it in certain circumstances. So, yes, I had I I have cognitively been in part of this space previously, um, but it was always, I always felt like it would be crazy for it actually to happen. And to see it happen and to see elements of kind of predictive simulation and really the long-term discussion of this, there's no maturity in the political landscape to have a discussion associated with what this means four years' time, six years' time, eight years' time. The folks that talk about vaccines, the epidemiologists around this, the science is very interesting, but also very bleak as well. So hopefully with the focus of people, um, we will get a blip above it. But I think it's a really very strange and striking circumstance, which unfortunately I have talked on historically from my background in simulation, um, which is why I'm doing these things weekly. <laughs> doing as much as possible for a community early um, and making sure that this discussion is available. Because I think as much as this is about the hobby of bubble rowing, it is also about a community of people um, and just the ability to, to reach folk through this time is really important to me, Larry. So Yeah, and... Um... I've had some relationships that I that have just diminished because of this. I think that people are frustrated and and all that. And it's not that either one of us are mad at each other. I think it was just uh, they're frustrated with the situation, you know. Yeah. And I tend to be a little more positive, so I know that <laughs> you know when somebody's um, you know frustrated, I'm I'm not the guy to come to feeling sorry for yourself. I'm, Certainly. No, I'm going to try to lift you up and get Amen. you going by stating everything positive I can, you yes. know? Yes. And, and I can relate to that. I think about the war games I played in the late seventies and early eighties, where you would send cataclysmic bombs and things like in that to do things. And uh, yeah, I guess maybe I did do a little more of this than I thought I did. But, yes. Uh, All together still, you know, when you see it unfolding in front of you, it changes your perspective dramatically, you um, know? Yeah, I think certainly in my own life, reaching to to points of humanity through this is really critical, so. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think keeping the the relationships and um, much the way my father, you know, and mother lived through the Great Depression as mm -hmm. children. Certainly. And uh, they talked about the urgency of friends and families that if, you know, you didn't have something to eat and your friends and families had a piece of meat, then you didn't eat steak. You made beef stew enough for everyone to eat, you know, and uh, I don't think we do that very well as a society anymore. You know, I, I, yeah. I, I think that, uh, you know, and then, of course, you have the part of, well, you can't get more than 10 people together. Well, yeah, yeah but you can set a pot of stew outside of somebody's door, Amen. you know, Amen. so it, and, um, you know, the calling there is much greater to just, you know, to reach out to your brother and help him when you can. You know? so. It's interesting that you raised the depression because certainly the nature, the, the whole reason Model Rail Radio was created was because of the interaction that I had with my grandparents in large part, who were, as you mm -hmm. say, depression era people. Um, and their philosophies and how distinctly different they were from my parents made me realize from a relatively young age that I had to learn as much as possible from these people. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very mindful of the stuff that you say with regards to your parents here as well. So, yeah. Well, Uncle Larry, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you very much for calling in today. I think we've had many heady topics, a few touching on model railroading. Thank you very much for calling in today. A pleasure as always. Thank you, Tom. You have a great day. You too. Marco Dorton, is there any update, anything that you wanted to add? Um, no, I, uh, I agree with, uh, with uh, Lawrence Eggering. Um, perhaps he could form a, a Snossages special interest group, <laughs> and we could call it the modeling interest group that cooks itself, or yes. cooks members. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I just have a plane going over where... Yes, a, it, it sounds uh, like a Lancaster bomber by the sense of things. Well, it's a... Uh, a really nice turboprop that normally is flown in a fashion you know, of a conservative businessman. He's flying a turboprop like it's a P-51 Mustang. Yes, always fun. <laughs> um, it, if you uh, want to go out and have some fun, that's the way to do it. So Yes. And uh, I can remember in my earlier flying days, I would be flying with a few instructors. They had a little bit of a sense of humor, and we'd be flying along. In the uh, in the hinterlands of upstate New York, then all of a sudden he'd scream, "Enemy troop train, take over the plane!" and start buzzing a uh, freight train with a Cessna 150. Yeah. So, and uh, um, some of the other instructors I had one who happened to be a Mennonite, and uh, I was uh, um, waiting to take off, and the tower said, uh, "You know, Cessna 50 Golf." Hold short and let the North American land. And I said, with pleasure. And, uh, and he says, what do you mean? And I says, well, the guy's got a Mustang and we're going to get to see a Mustang land. And he says, what's a Mustang? And, uh, and he had a, came from a pacifist family religion. Yes. And he, he, knew, he knew a lot about airplanes, but he knew nothing about World War II airplanes. Yes. And, uh, which you and I would, you know, certainly would know the top. You know, top dozen World War II airplanes on all sides. Yes. You know, at the top. And, uh, Frustrating, just actually. From, just from a very yeah. From what I've had recently, I'm in the, I'm in the market to, to build some balsa wood models currently. 
And it's remarkable how few... So uh, a Spitfire no longer really... I mean, the, the gallows offering is there, which is what I'm going to be building. But there are very few Spitfires that they make these days. And similarly, you could still get Mustangs, obviously, without question. Uh, but yeah. the uh, BF, uh, MEBF 109s, similarly, very few uh, offerings. They don't... I've always wondered when we will lose track of the Second World War, and I do feel very much that this is happening currently. Um, so, yeah, interesting times. Interesting times. Yes, well, I, I was fortunate to grow up in the hometown of Grillo's. Mm, oh, my so, goodness. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and whenever I go to a hobby store, I uh, always take a picture of the Grillo's display, especially if it's a um, – they make these little handheld party favors type yes. gliders. Yes, isn't it? They also make really, really serious kits. Without so question. I will go over to the section of the serious kits and pull out one or two and stand them up and show the ends of all the kits and uh, say, hey, look what I found. And uh, they thank me for it. Yes. And uh, um, But, um, you know, they have a uh, – Gulos has a stable of kits that are the probably the 24 or so World War II airplanes. Yes. You know, not just with the Mustang and, you know, B-40s and – and uh, the uh, um, you know the uh, the one with the gullwing, the F four, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is my favorite. Um, but um, I don't know any of the other balsa companies. Uh, if you ever troll around the YouTube, there's a guy called Max's Models. Oh yeah, I love his stuff. The stuff he's doing live and, currently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's uh, he went he I think he had a knee replacement or a hip replacement. Certainly, yes. So so he's recuperating. So he's just doing a fireside chat with a cup of coffee. Yeah, uh, he has a little he has a little uh, a little hobby shack behind his house, which is quite beautiful. Yeah, a uh, a little shed with two big French doors with windows full yes. light. And uh, but um, I would like him when he runs out of plastic kit models. I would like him to start doing the balsa wood kit. Well, models. he has historically. I mean, a few of his offerings are, and he's got the wall of uh, tails um, in his. Yes. It's, it's, so. He has historically, in fact, I think I found his stuff through uh, Balsawood models specifically. But no, as okay. a boy with my father, we built a Grillo's kit, which is still available, a rubber uh, band-powered thing. I mean, I think their reach is, you know, untouchable. I mean, this was, you know, Australia. It was really, at the time, the only Balsawood kit offering, even then in the 80s, um, of any, you know, reasonable price and uh, reputation. So... They certainly have an international audience. The stuff that interests me um, and the stuff I'm building it will be associated with RC conversion because they do, for reasonable sizes, I'm doing here 20-odd inches, uh, wingspan, basic RC electric conversions. Um, yes, you know, uh, the stuff is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it would be fun to get a uh, crossover between the uh, RC modelers and the model railroaders. <laughs> there's just so yes. much that we can do with each other, yes. and, uh, um, especially when you see... When you see the RC model is putting cameras in their oh, planes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's even, because not, not only can we build a, a fairly lightweight electric airplane, we can build a fairly lightweight electric, electric airplane with a camera. Oh, man. And, uh, oh, man. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I like to see more, um, like there's a big international plastic modeler society meeting every year in San Jose. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, I, I doubt they're going to do the, do it this year. And there's a, a lesser one in Sacramento, and the publicity is such that um, we we don't always um, we don't always find out about it. And I kind of wish that 
we had a node where you could post things mm. that were not just model railroad, mm-hmm. but modeling in general. Mm. And, uh, you know, even the dollhouse people. Yeah, certainly. And, uh, and, uh, so I, I would like to see that. And, uh, I'm wondering how we can do that because I, uh, I've, I've been, I was lamenting the lack of clinics in our NMRA division. And I, I proposed the idea of, um, if you give a clinic at a regional convention, if you give clinics, you'll get a free registration for the clinic, for the convention. Yeah. And, well, if you do two clinics, then to go back and do two more your division, you'll get a free registration. Yes. So I'm I'm looking for for financial incentives. Um, yeah, one I, guy I told that to Mawa actually when I was there because I just assumed that was the case. I didn't realize that that was not standard practice because certainly the Oscar National did that. I mean, I think it, yeah, and it was actually interesting having that interaction with Mawa because I assumed just by giving a clinic that that meant that I got. You know, free registration. I just because I'm flying in on my dime and you know paying right, for yeah. hotels and stuff. I mean, it, you know, it was not in any way free. I mean, talking to Gordy about this notion of what free really is and these things, my experience with regards to Marwa was in no way free. Um, but yeah, it is interesting that this is not. Yeah, I don't know. I but, but yeah, I agree with you completely, Mike. I don't. Uh, so I mean, it's like there's a lot of um, there's a lot of modelers that will only take a little bit of a nudge to get them to do a clinic. And uh, that may be just a little bit of nudge they need. Uh, like what he says, he's not running out of clinicians. He's got <laughs> 100 hours. 100 hours so, Believe me. Uh, and a queue, a neatly organized queue forming um, as well. I mean, what's, what's fascinating with regards to the stuff Gordy does is that a number of the clinicians are repeat clinicians as well. So it's not just that, right. uh, you know, what he's doing is doing something. It's that the people that do it once actually enjoy the format and... Uh, you know, get a lot out of it. So yeah, certainly hats off yeah. to what he's doing. Yeah, they come back. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that's pretty good. Cool. I, uh, I am hoping to somehow start doing the DCC lunch, even if it involves going to a park. Yeah. And sit, sit apart, part and one at a time, you can go up and get a slice of pizza and go back to your seat. Yeah. And You're not a member of Silicon Valley lines, are you? I wonder if I can ask them if one of my memberships can be for you. Because they are doing a lot of um, really interesting kind of virtualization associated, not just with the club meetings, but also with regards to, you know, the social aspects of the hobby. Um, so it sounds yeah. like you probably need a membership. I'll um, get in contact with Mike Adonia and Dave Falkenberg and see if they can I wrangle one of my three can go to you. Um, I'll need to get an email address and various other things from you if I don't already have that. Uh, but yeah, they're certainly doing a lot of interesting stuff currently. And I think obviously they have a, a group of people that are some way, I don't know how, but some way connected with technology. So yeah, I think they're, the stuff that they're doing currently, I just get their mailing list, um, traffic. But yeah, if, if I could get you on that, certainly let me see what I can yeah. do. Yeah. Now, um, yeah, I should probably buy a, um, an operating membership. Um, if you can't weasel me in for free. Yeah. I think it's, and, uh, it's, that's the best deal going i don't know how i got the three <laughs> three full full paid memberships but yeah they also utilize my charitable giving at work so i probably actually am buying more memberships now than I historically. we can work this out my god Tony. we can work this out folks i'm have very particular interest in toy soldiers in um in miniatures yeah. and i created a facebook group in my area because i realized there were more folk in my area particularly because i've got a lot of junk that i need to get rid of um, I brought stuff that you've been part of that in some regard. 
Um, so uh, I created a Facebook group and I've been one fellow from that Facebook group. He and I have done two hostage exchanges. One was just me leaving stuff out on my front porch and watching it. Yep. Um, and then he picked that up. And one we yep. met at a soup dumpling restaurant that was doing takeout. Oh my goodness. Just amazingly delicious soup dumplings in Fremont. Um, and he passed back a package and I passed him a package there. Um, and obviously we maintained masks and what have you. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how this thing is going to work out. And what my wife does with her quilting friends is she goes and stands outside their houses, uh, and she'll drop stuff off and they'll have a kind of conversation through the glass currently because yeah, they're uh-huh. all, um, exposed, uh, uh, folk. Yeah, I think right. we we need to work something out in the future. I think the circumstances in California as they are currently just um yeah, it's just it's a strange time, so I could do any but I think once you know, once there are various protocols that could be worked out, certainly I think we could probably work out some way of um, you know, cohabiting at distance or, or you know, maintaining social distancing, what have you. Um but yeah, for now, certainly with work, I haven't been into the office for many months. The last time I went in actually was to pick up my just general like desk equipment so I could have that yeah. here. I don't know when that is going to change. I mean, I think everything about this thing is, is ongoing and evolving. Um, I'd love, to, I mean, I'd love to do a, a, a meet equidistantly somewhere um, just to yeah. get out. But yeah, again, that requires planning and I, I, I think Michelle would want to be part of that as well because she, you know, yeah, this area is... Um, there are plenty of places in this area that she wants to go as well. So why don't we plan for that in the future? Why don't we see what kind of September, August, September timeframe holds? Um, let's right, see, yeah. you know, whether, whether that's possible. Um, certainly with the, yeah, the soup dumpling meeting point, we really didn't have much chance. For, we did most of the conversation actually after doing it, um, via, you know, text chat and what have you. But yeah, it is, it is interesting times for this. We need to work out where it's equidistant between us, which I think probably north of, it's certainly considerably north of Fremont. So we need to work out where that would be probably. Well, I, uh, I have an advantage in that, um, I can get to you. I think we should pick a point that's equidistant in time mm. rather than distance. Mm. Because for me, time means hopping on a freeway and doing 80 miles an hour. Yeah. So, uh, um, and whereas you, you have, you know, 10 or 20 miles of slogging through San Jose. To get to a freeway. <laughs> well, uh, that's not uh, actually technically true. You've been to our house, haven't you? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. So the two eighty is not feet, but you know, hundreds of feet away from us. Um, yeah, you're about you're about five hundred feet from the two eighty, aren't you? Yeah. So that's yeah. not too. But you, the two eighty itself around San Jose is different. Different driving um, entirely. I'll talk to Michelle and see if we can plan something. She. Certainly has a number of road trips that she's also, um, yeah, we'll, we'll certainly make it happen. But yeah, I'll have a chat. Do you remember, do you remember that war gaming store in, uh, in Niles or is Fremont, Centerville, that area? Oh, uh, there's one in Union City. Okay. There was one that was a plastic model kit, model rail store in Fremont that I just, but I don't know if they had any war gaming components to it. Okay. Cause I'm, I'm thinking, yeah. Like I was with a bunch of guys, mm. and since I was a passenger, I could look out the window, and I saw, hey, there's a wargaming store, mm. and uh, um, I will I will go to. There's a games um, workshop which you might be thinking of, which is in a strip mall, um, okay. which is a bit north. I'm trying to think what else there is 
Yeah, well, normally when I go through the, but again, who knows? I mean, you know, Berkeley, I'm trying to think, Oakland, uh, further, yeah, the only one I know of is the one in, um, might be north of Union City. We go, they have a, um, Del Taco, <laughs> by which they don't have a lot of in the South Bay. And I, yeah, used to be able to get there with the, with the promise of a Del Taco run. And uh, they're pretty uh-huh. impressive. Uh-huh. They, um, they're, yeah, they are like a major hub though, but they're in a very curious area. They're kind of on a main street, but you'd have to get in through the back lot for that. I don't think they've right, reopened. Yeah. They are, they're the only one that I can think of in that area. I can't think of one. This is certainly the plastic kit thing in Fremont. Um, yeah. was a favorite. In fact, when we did the show 100, I made sure Terry Terrence and Jim Lincoln, in fact, I bought some kits for Terry Terrence, I think, in that store. Um, because he's talking about like having a VW bug or what have you, and I kind of slipped away and picked one up as a thank you gift for him coming. Um, but yeah, I can't think yeah. of a wargaming store other than the one in, I think it's Union City, which is a game castle. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll figure out something. Yeah. If you can weasel me into the Silicon Valley lines, I'd gladly take it. Yeah. Let me see what I can you. do with that because I, I think, yeah, I'll just email Dave Fulkenberg and, and Murph and I'll see if I can get you in. And uh, uh, there's a there's some sushi or Thai food or something in it for you. <laughs> we'll work it out. We'll work it out. Like I, I, I can remain in your debt for years. Let's just put it that way. So. Well, um, that's always good. I mean, I, I I I get on I get on with a lot of my NMRA people around here, hmm. and I they're like Gordy would say they're kind of stuck in the past, and uh, I. Uh, like when I was in college, we had people who would join the Model Railroad Club because we had three dark rooms and two workshops. And the way the school worked is you got your student union, which is not a union like trade union. It's like a student association. Um, you Every club got like 30 bucks per member yes. from the student fee. And the more members you had, the more you got. Certainly. So we were happy. We were happy to build a dark room for a hundred dollars and get 10 more members at 30 bucks a pop for the year. So we had 400 members in our club and maybe half of them were model railroaders. Yes. And the other half didn't even know or care what a train was. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> because they liked our wood shops and our dark rooms. Now, um, I keep re, you know, mentioning to the NRA local people that, uh, you know, the, it's like being a painter. You can paint, scenery you can paint still lifes you can paint portraits you can paint modern art so you need a subject for your painting now people like technology and in a lot of ways model railroading is a subject for their technology because mm. if you and i if you and i were told starting tomorrow we're not allowed to do a single train we'll do the exact same modeling only do ships or tanks mm-hmm. or planes mm-hmm. or dollhouses we, we there's no model. shortage there's no shortage yeah. yeah i mean uh i mean it's like if you tell me to go in my house and spend the next month and don't touch a single locomotive or a piece of rolling stock and just model, I say, I've got boxes of buildings to build. I got track I can lay. I mean, mm. uh, um, so, um, I would like to see us be a, a node for people who like to do miniature technology mm. and, uh, you know, you know, Arduinos, you know, Certainly. Raspberry Pis, Certainly. 3D printing, Certainly. CAD CAM, you know, numerical control milling, um, even basic machining. Um, you look at what Dave Falkenberg is doing with his son John. Oh yes. Look at the 
look at the know-how that kid is getting. Without question. Without question. I mean, come on now, you know, because, uh, I mean, he can, there's, there's a college in the Midwest called um, uh, Rose Hullman Institute of Technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a very automotive-centric school. And when you start as a freshman, you build part of a car. And when yes. you graduate, you build your entire car. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I mean, he would he would... He would walk into that school and it'd make him a junior right off the bat but with, with his know-how. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, well, it's so, interesting uh, times with regards to all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Mike, unfortunately, yeah. I have to cut this short. My wife is uh, visually protesting outside with regards to tree limbs and other things that I promised to, to, to come and deal with. So one of the deficits of having this new beautiful podcasting room is people can actually make visual protests uh, outside in front of me. A pleasure chatting as always. Thank you very much for calling in today. And I'll uh, certainly get in contact with the uh, Fulkerberg Murphy and Associates um, and see what they can do yes. with regards to uh, getting you at least on the mailing list. And really, that's the only thing that the membership, I mean, in these times, uh, you'll get you right, know, yeah. video and other things. But I'll see what I can do with that. Uh, with the view that, yeah, I've, I've been a paid up, multiple paid up membership person, uh, Silicon Valley Alliance, for a few years now. So hopefully I can swing that. Pleasure chatting as always. We will work towards a future where we can socially distance meet um, sometime. I will I will chat with Michelle. She might already we we might be doing it next weekend, Mike O'Donny. Let's just see what happens. Here. Um, pick a weekend. I'm there. Yes. It's not like I'm doing anything. So Terrific. Talk to you later. Thanks a lot. I'll talk to you Bye-bye. soon. Take care. Another interesting catch-up with folks on Model Rail Radio. Obviously, Gordy Robinson fighting the good fight, taking the hobby in a different direction, and one that, you know, is very nurturing and very positive through this period of time. A lot of interesting discussion today, some of which Model Rail-related, but lots of interesting discussion. I hope folks are enjoying these new format weekly recordings. For me, and I say this almost every week, it's purely based on a variety of factors that I have very limited control over whether or not the recordings get out with a certain periodicity. I'm now well behind, unfortunately. And when I edit this in the future, I always smirk to myself because I'm always in a different situation when I edit them. But yeah, apologies to folks about how long it's taking me to get out these recordings. Really, a lot of it is beyond my control, unfortunately. Uh, but the quality of the conversations, more than anything, I really do enjoy getting out. So thanks to everyone for participating today. Thanks to the folks for listening in. Good morning.